Good morning. We welcome you into this Advent journey as we prepare for the coming of the Christ child. I'm Connie. And I'm Danny. And this is the season of hope and light. We invite you to join us. Come on in. The first scriptural lesson today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37, which is printed in your bulletin insert. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great glory and power. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at the cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians. We're in the first chapter, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We are chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. That is 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9. Listen for the word of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> well, hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Everybody looks a little turkier. I know I'm got to get my stretchy pants on, 
I'm going to beat that back a little bit. It's that season. You got to stay on top of it so we can get through December. Uh, Good time to give thanks. I hope you were able to find a variety of ways and opportunities to give thanks, and I hope we continue that. That's not a day. That's the way that we live our lives as Christians, in gratitude to God for all that God has given us. So we usually travel at Thanksgiving, but we didn't this year because of COVID, and so we decided to stay home, um, and I smoked a turkey. Smoked a turkey. Fantastic. I've got a pellet grill, which I I got at at a pretty good deal from a soldier. That's one of the benefits of having Fort Benning in town. Sometimes people are leaving and looking to jettison things. So I got this pellet grill, and if you're not familiar with it, it's it's a regular grill, except it's not charcoal and it's not gas-powered. It's little wooden pellets. And there's a little box over here, and you pour the pellets in, and then there's an auger that, that delivers it to this little metal pot in the middle on the bottom of the main part of the grill. And it's digital readout, you set it, whatever you want, high smoke, low smoke, you can grill 350, 500, whatever you want. And then it delivers the right amount of fuel to get your temperature roughly in the zone you wanna keep, and you can keep it there. You throw something on there and six hours go away and come back six hours later and you're golden, you're golden. So um, you do the initial setup uh, it usually burns. Uh, I put it on high, uh, just kind of burn off all the extra junk, you know. Um, and so I'm in the kitchen and Vicky says, it's on fire. It's on fire. So I look and, well, sure enough, flame shooting out the side and flame shooting, shooting out the door and you don't have to have it open like you do a, a gas grill. And, and there's, no, there's no propane here. There's no threat of it blowing up. There's nothing that's going to blow up. So I took a breath, said, okay. Now, this instrument is designed to be foolproof so any moron can operate it. I caught it on fire. So I turn it off and I wait. And yes, it dissipates, goes back down. And I realized what the problem was. I hadn't cleaned the grease pan recently or even not recently. It had been some time, and that's when you're cooking your fatty foods, um, your, your, your steaks and your burgers and all that stuff that drips all that gooey fat down onto this drip pan, and it collects all that. Fine. But if you don't clean that every couple of times, what happens? Well, it builds a layer of that stuff, and then it kind of bakes on, and then the next time, there's another layer on top of that layer, And then the more you go, it builds and builds and builds until eventually you have a fire. And that's what happened here. So I was able to take out the pan once it cooled relatively enough, scrape off all that soot, all that nasty, put it back in, fine. Six and a half hours later, mm, we were into some yummy turkey. So what I'm telling you is that each of you is a grease fire. But this season, this season is the season for us to clean out that mess that's been building over the year, to start to prepare, to start to cleanse that stuff that if we're not careful, takes us over like that fire did for that grill. Paul tells us about this in 1 Corinthians. If you recall, 
First and second Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, Corinth, bustling city on an isthmus. It's fun to say, isthmus. It's just a land bridge, thin strip of land from one piece to the other and connecting two seas and gulfs. And so Corinth was poised to be a city of trade, a city of a collection of wisdom and religions. It was hustling and bustling. And as with many cities and well, anywhere, it had its own collection of challenges. Think about Paul and, and these early Christians. They were tw- no, no less than 12 temples dedicated to other gods in Corinth. One of the biggest was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. At certain points, there were no less than a thousand priestesses slash temple prostitutes with that kind of what we would look at as sexual immorality that is destructive and not God's gift of sexuality, which it is when respected and honored. Some thousand of those, and this worked into their religion. There was Apollo, there were, excuse me, there were, there were many and many of these gods. In addition to the wealth there, some in these churches, some people had money, some people didn't, like many churches. But they were now divided among one another about the Lord's Supper and the theology. Who can take it and who shouldn't? They were divided among how to handle court processes outside of the church in the civil government. There were other things from the carpet to the choir robes to all the things that the church in Corinth was fighting against one another. And so into this environment, Paul writes this letter to say, hey, friends, we need to work on this. But before he speaks to them sternly and harshly, which he does, he starts out with these wonderful greetings that Paul always does. Grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I wish you peace or I bring you peace or grace. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, his grace and his peace I bring to you. I'm so thankful for you, friends. He knew them in Corinth. He had been there before. So it wasn't a blind letter to a blind church that he knew was struggling. He knew these people and was looking to help them. Starts with grace and peace of God. As he continues, I give thanks to you in every way. You have been enriched in him, in speech and in knowledge. You have been given every spiritual gift that you need to succeed. To summarize Paul's statement. This is great for us on the first Sunday of Advent. We are entering this next journey. We are very much those that are challenged just as the people of Corinth were by their culture, by their surroundings. We probably have more than 12 gods that are seeking our attention in worship every day. And it's so hard, friends, I know it. 
But Paul is saying, you are not meant to be one of them. You are being called to a higher purpose and you have been given everything you need. The grace and peace of Jesus Christ that we celebrate, that we look forward to, and even in this second coming business, which scares us all, but it shouldn't scare us to death. It should scare us to life because we know that as Christians, the end of this world will not be our demise, but it will be our new beginning. It will be our new infancy. But there will be judgment. But Christ intervenes for us. Christ came to save the world, and that's where our hope lies today. Hope is such a great word, isn't it? Such a core of our Christian faith. Hope. Hope, not just optimism that we toss out into the air, but a hope rooted in a loving God that sent Christ to us. Paul is reminding the Corinthians of who they are and that they've been given everything they need spiritually. All of their spiritual gifts, as we go into Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, all talks about those different gifts. Some given gifts of personnel, some given gifts of stewardship and finance, some in Christian education, some in worship, some in operation, some in all the different ways that we are called to be a church. Paul isn't that specific. That's, I'm just paraphrasing that. But a part of our advent in preparation, in cleaning out this soot that we don't want to ignite in a negative way and take us over, is to see that we are the recipients not only of grace and peace, but of the gifts that we already possess. It's so hard to, sometimes to feel like we do have those gifts. Sometimes we feel like everybody else knows more about the Bible than we do. Everyone else is more faithful than we do, than we are. And yet, it's never the case. We're called to all bring our given gifts and use together. Not just one person doing their thing, but all of us together. And when we do that, we'll see that we are not alone, that we have been gifted with one another as a part of this journey. And it's not that disagreements won't ever come. Of course they will. Disagreements come where people are passionate. And the more passionate they are about something, the more difficult it is to communicate, to listen, and to speak. But when it comes to God, we need to be able to stand on what we've been given, friends. We need to not be so uncomfortable with the name Jesus Christ, to say and use the gifts that have been given so that others will know what we know. And that is that God loved us so much that God sent his only son. Why? 
Because God looked down and said, oh no, I can't, I can't leave them in that state. Look what they have done to themselves. They are going to catch fire. I don't want that. I'm going to give them away through Christ that they can come home, that they can continue to be the people that I love and have called them to be. The season of Advent itself is a four-year, four-week process. We start today with the lighting of one, as Vicki said. The Advent wreath has been around since roughly 1839, when a German pastor, Johann Wilhelm Weichert, was looking for a way to slow the children down before Christmas. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Slow down. And he did 19 red tapers and he did four larger white candles, the candles to be done on Sundays and the smaller ones every day. Another day closer, another day closer. And this is our season of preparation, of excitement. We can start to look forward to the hope that we know is coming. Advent is that trifold past, present, and future, kind of a back to the future kind of understanding in the whole process. We look back and know the birth will come. We now are looking to accept Christ into our hearts and we are looking for Christ to come again a second time. That's the scarier part. Advent is a word that means to come or to arrive. We know that Christ arrived 2,000 years ago. Paul is reminding us that we need to invite Christ into our hearts and lives again and at that second coming, that day of judgment that for us should not be approached with fear but with joy from a risen Christ who intervened on our behalf. We don't earn that grace. We don't earn that peace. We don't earn that hope, that joy, that love. All that's been done for us. All we have to do is open that present like we would a gift on Christmas morning. So friends, my call to you today through Paul is to know that this is four weeks that are set aside to do something a little different. This is our chance that we shouldn't be overtaken with all that soot, all that sinful grease that builds up over the year, this is our time. Through the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love of Jesus Christ, the gifts that we've already been given, to look forward to the Christ child being born again. Because that day, everything changes. Howard Thurman was an African-American theologian and educator in the early 1900s. He told a story about a man who was walking toward the dusk of the day, twilight, and saw, walking through a park and saw a group of little birds 
pecking at a paper bag. Paper bag had been rolled up in the end. They couldn't get to it. They smelled something good in there. They knew there was part of a sandwich or some crumbs or something. And they're speaking ill of each other, chirping and tweeting loudly and bumping each other out of the way. I know how to do it. I can do it. Just let me at it. And they can't get through the paper. And so this man sees this and he walks over to the bag and all the birds fly away. He kind of looks at it, kicks it around a little bit. Says, I'll give them what they need. He opens the top, empties out the contents of the bag, that remaining food, sandwich, crumbs, all kinds of stuff. Then he walks away. And when he does, all the birds descend. Thurman says that we are like those birds and in some ways like that man. We are hungry for that spirituality that only God can give us. But sometimes we fight for it or we don't know how to get to it. Or maybe other people are distracting us from reaping what God has given us for our joy. God looks down and says, I'll give you everything you need, dumps out that bag, and we are fed. And we are like that man in the sense that those gifts that God gave us, then we are sent out to open the bag for others who are hungry, who need to be fed. So as we move forward into this Lenten journey, do so today with hope. The hope that God loves us enough to keep God's promises, which we know God has, God is, and God will continue. Go forth in hope and know that as we get closer to the celebration of that birth, that we are doing the hard work of cleaning out that soot that's accumulated over the last year. And know, friends, that you've been given everything that you need to live, thrive, and survive from a God who seeks an intimate journey with you, with all of us, and the world. Hallelujah. Amen.